0: We're just really glad that you're here today. We're in this series called Life Verses. And today we're going to be talking about a subject, you know, humility. And it's something that is really important for us to have. And one of my favorite quotes that I just went to was this quote It says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so I find that really challenging, especially in our culture today, of just thinking of myself less. And trying to think more of others. And this quote is actually commonly attributed to the author C.S. Lewis. Lewis, You know, the guy who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and The Chronicles of Narnia, and some other great books. And so, actually, there's a section in his book, Mere Christianity, that talks about humility um, and so I think that's where a lot of people get this idea that he said that quote. But it was actually Rick Warren who said that, the pastor who wrote A Purpose Driven Life. And so I was just found that interesting because I've never heard Rick Warren come out and say, well, no, I said that, I said that, not C.S. Lewis. Because if it's a quote about humility, you can't really be out there saying it's me, me, me. So that's what I just found that interesting when I was looking up that today. Um, but so the verse uh, we're going to be focusing on, for our life verse series, we'll hit on the topic of humility. And so we'll read that in a second. But just to kind of get everyone caught up, we challenged people with three challenges at the beginning of this series. And the first one was to commit to being in Scripture daily over the course of the summer. And so, you know, if you haven't been daily, there's no shame. There's no, uh, like, you know, you're not in trouble. Why not start today and go through the rest of the summer wanting to be in Scripture? The second challenge is we wanted everyone to find a life verse. And so just to be, uh, like, think about a verse that comes from Scripture that connects with your life in a meaningful and an impactful way that you would say, you know what, my life, I've seen this verse kind of come back and forth throughout the course of my life. And so then finally, the third one, a challenge we had was that we would memorize our life verse. By the end of the summer that we would, you know, make it a plan and priority to sit down and kind of go over that verse over and over and make sure that we have it memorized and written on our hearts so that it comes up in those moments, in those seasons of life, we can refer back to that in those times of trials. And so, I just want to encourage you with those three things again, and we're going to keep repeating those things. And if you would like to share your life verse, we have the opportunity to do that on the Open Life Church app. Um, also on the, our Next Steps page at Next Steps, There's an item you can click on there for you to tell us that. We would love to hear your stories of how your life is connecting with Scripture and how like that is something that you've grabbed a hold of. And so you don't have to have it memorized in order to share it with us, but we would love to hear what verse that you're reading through scripture over the course of the summer, are you connecting with your life? And so we'd encourage you to do that. We like to share those things, and so we won't always share the name, so you can keep it anonymous if you want. But we'd love to hear actual stories of people in open life who've said, you know, what? I have a verse that I connect with personally in my life. And so Today we're going to be talking about John the Baptist. He's our main focus of someone who exudes humility. And so just to give you a a little bit of a background, uh, we're going to read from the book of John. But John the Baptist didn't write the book of John. And so I always like to clarify that when we're talking. We're going to be reading out of John chapter 3. And so it's about John the Baptist, but it's in the book of John. And so it can get confusing. So I just wanted to make sure we're all clear on that. But where this story comes up is... Already, if you read through the first two chapters of John, uh, Jesus has crossed paths with John the Baptist, and John like took the moment when he was around Jesus to tell everyone that he was around to say that Jesus is the chosen one of God. This was John's role. He was there to prepare the way for Jesus. If you read through all the other Gospels, you read about the prophecies and that John the Baptist was this prophet from old. It had been a long time of God being silent through prophets. And then all of of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts declaring these things about one who is to come. And so if you read through John 1 and 2, you see that story play out, where John points to Jesus and says, Jesus is the chosen one of God. And so we jump into the story at John 3, 22 through 36. And so just begin to think and process of how John exudes humility in this interaction. It says this in verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent time, some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, so they're talking about Jesus because they remembered the story too. He says, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And so right there you see kind of the heart of John's um, disciples. They're just like, John, everyone's going to that man over there and they're no longer coming to us. And so it's like, you know, pride and envy were still a thing 2000 years ago just like they're still a thing now. And so so many times we get into that mentality. Well, why is everyone going there? They're not coming to us anymore. So that's exactly the heart that they have. And so listen to John's reply. It says this in verse 27. John replied, "No one can receive anything unless God gives it to. God gives it from heaven." You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. And so John's just simply explaining, you know what? I'm the friend at the wedding that is super happy for the bride and groom. But Jesus is the one that I'm happy for. He's putting all the praise and all the honor onto Jesus. And so then he he goes on. And this is kind of the life verse that we wanted to talk about and expand on today. And that's this John 3.30. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is John's reply. This is John's heart. This is what John was living for. And so it goes on and says, this is um, John speaking. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment." And so what you see here from John is a masterclass on humility, knowing when to let the spotlight turn from you and to go on to another. It's actually beautiful when you think about it and you think about John's life, where if it's actually told of John in other places that he was the greatest one to ever live before Jesus. And so for him, you can let that get to your head. You can let that become part of who you are. I am the greatest. You know, Kenny Rogers, right? Like that song. You just begin to think like that you are just full of it and that you are the one who's God's gift to this green earth. But John knew in that moment that he was there to prepare the way for Jesus and point to him. Any reflection of greatness and of glory was a reflection from God so that he could shine that onto Jesus. And that's what his purpose was. And so this was Jesus. Jesus' time and John knew it. And so other translations say of John that he said that he must increase and I must decrease. And so as we're talking about this idea of being a life verse, it's challenging in our culture today to be able to say that God must increase in my life and my needs and my selfishness must decrease in my life. And so it's a challenging life verse. And so today our big idea is that he is greater than I. And so what was really funny when I was going through this and I'm actually wearing a shirt, it doesn't say Heki, which is what I thought for the longest time when I would see cars with this logo on them on the back of it. We went to Hawaii a number of years ago and lots of cars because this company is founded in Hawaii. Lots of cars and lots of t-shirts with this symbol that says, he is greater than I. I didn't get it at first. The whole trip, I'm like, what is this that everyone has it? And so finally, like in an epiphany moment, I was like, oh, he's talking about Jesus. And so, Danny, for my birthday last year, got me this shirt. And so I thought, what better moment? We should always wear shirts that has the big idea on it. So I think that's a new thing we're going to start here at Open Life is we're going to write the big idea mega make a t-shirt so that everyone gets it. Just subliminal messaging as you're sitting here. It's like, oh, at least I know the big idea. I can just read it on the guy's shirt standing at the front of the stage. But it's a company. And if you go to their About page, it's hegreaterthani.com. That's just all about creating conversation to be able to point to Jesus in whatever your clothes you're wearing. So they have sweatshirts, they have hats, stickers. So if you want to do that, I'm not going to get paid if you go and buy it. Um, but it would be awesome if I could. But you know, it's a, they have some good stuff. So I just wanted to throw it out there today. But if you read through Scripture, you find multiple verses that talk about humility and talk about the need for us to think of others. One of the main core ones you'll find is from Philippians 2. And we're going to read two sections of this um, today. So the first part, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi. He's encouraging them to be united. And so this is what he said. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? These are all questions. He's kind of asking rhetorical questions. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then he goes on and says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And so as a leader of this church, Paul is encouraging them to find unity amongst themselves with four things to think about. Have you gotten encouragement from Jesus? Have you gotten comfort from his love? Have you found fellowship with people through the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you found that our hearts have been changed that actually look differently out to others. He says, if you've found all those things, then actually other translations say, then make my joy complete by being unified together with mind and purpose. And so he continues on, and this is like our key thoughts for today on how we're gonna be humble, is that Paul says, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And so if you don't grab anything, just grab the actions from that verse from today and just try to implement those things in your life. Because again, the attitudes that those convey are not common to our culture. And so if you just go through them, selfishness, it's everywhere. People are in it for themselves, we all know that trying to impress others. Like that's the whole point of social media, I feel like, is to share your best moments so that people will see how great you are and so they'll be jealous of you. So it just creates this repetitive situation of envy, of pride, and of greed and how that goes, it just creates a vicious cycle. He says, be humble. And so when people, when you actually hear people on TV say, well, I actually think I'm much more humble than you would ever understand. Like that's, like we realize that society has a humility problem when people say, well, I'm so humble, you don't even understand how humble I am. And so thinking of others better than yourselves, we don't do that as a common reflex in our lives. We can't do that, it'll hurt my personal brand if we begin to say others are better than us. And so I even looked up, there's this thing called personal branding and just creating this like, you know, you see it all over Instagram, it's just, I gotta create my self brand or my personal brand and you know share that with everyone because everyone's gonna love who I am. It just breeds the opposite of humility. And so then finally, Paul says, take an interest in others. And so just the idea that you mean the world doesn't revolve around myself. Just how we can think about that. And so I don't know. I'm a sports geek, and I actually really enjoy the Tour de France. Today's the last day, and so I've been getting up early the past week to kind of see the highlights. I don't watch the whole thing because that would be really boring. But it's a lot of fun to, um, like, see. So I got a picture of... um, The guys that are basically going to come in first and second and so the guy on the left here the yellow jersey they're the winner this is Egan Bernal and then this is his teammate Garrett Thomas and so he's going to be first today and he's going to be second unless something crazy happens and then I you know I'm telling you lies but it usually never changes on the last day Um, but just to give you some context last year in the Tour de France this guy was first and he wasn't even—he didn't place it all. He—he he was their teammate still. He kind of took him up the climbs, and he ended up winning. And so, what was interesting—if you followed along with the race—is that their teammates going over for the same prize. And so, there was a pivotal day on Friday where this—they um, had to cancel the race early. And so, in and because that happened, he was in first place. And so there's this kind of changing of the guard. And so people were wondering if on Saturday, yesterday, he was going to try and attack and take the win, even though they're teammates. And so I found it really interesting, kind of shocking, is this is what he said when he was asked this. He's, I've grabbed this from a news article. So it asked whether he would ride for Bernal. Thomas was emphatic. Most definitely, he said. Going into the last stage, Egan's in yellow. So the main thing is he finishes the job. And so it was just this humility that we don't see a lot in sports. We don't see a lot in our culture. And so whenever we do see it, we're kind of caught off guard. We're encouraged by it. It's refreshing. And so it's like next year, you know, and this isn't meaning that like forever he's going to be in first and, you know, he's going to be in second. Next year they'll have to decide on the team dynamics. But in that moment, when you find humility to say, you know what? The spotlight's turning from me right now. I'm going to let it go on someone else. It can be refreshing and life-giving wherever we find it, whether it's sports or in our daily lives. And so this idea that Jesus must become greater and greater, and that we must become less and less is so important, so important to live our, and base, live our lives and base our lives by. John knew it, Jesus knew it, and we can know it too. And so we have a three thoughts that we just want to jump out to you on how we can let Jesus become greater and greater in our lives. And so the first thought today is that we must live with humility And so if a definition, if you're still struggling with what that means, it's a modest or low view of one's importance. And so just to think, when you walk into a meeting or if you walk into a room, do you ever think about how important you are in regards to everyone else in the room? Maybe you're the boss or the manager, or maybe you're not the boss and you're not the manager, and you know that you're of least importance But whenever we do this, we're beginning to create this structure of how important we think we are. We might know that we get paid more than everyone else. We might know that we uh, give more perks than the other people do that we work with. But just think about this idea. And then I'm going to read this verse. This is a continuation of what Paul was saying in Philippians 2. And just think about Jesus in these moments. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so I want you to think about that. You walk into a meeting or your office and you might know that you are the most important person at your job at that moment. And just you might know that you have the most perks, that you have the most vacation time, that you get the best cell phone plan than your other coworkers, And so you might begin to think really high of yourself. And so I just want you to think about that. And now imagine Jesus, because he walked onto the earth. He knew that he was God in flesh, yet he didn't cling to any of that power. The only time he used it was to lift others up. He knew he had all the divine privileges that he could, all the divine vacation time. He could have called on God to help him through any moment. But he chose to forsake those things to be with people. He goes, he used to think that he didn't come as a king. He came as a normal person. And actually, he became less than a normal person because he chose to serve everyone. And in fact, if you even think about it more, he became lower than a servant by suffering a criminal's death. The lowest of lows, Jesus chose to suffer so that he could be with people and show them how much God loves them. And so when we think of how we can live our lives with daily humility, we need to remember that our example and our king and our savior chose to throw off every power. He chose to throw off every benefit that he could have called upon because he loved people. So the verse continues on, and this is like how the kingdom of God works. God uses the weak. He uses the things that are less than and turns them into more. And it goes on and says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so if we've chosen to follow Jesus and we even want to attempt at making humility a part of our daily lives, then we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The way that's Paul's specific challenge is that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. And so a mentality that says, I'm not the most important person, that my spouse, I'm going to choose to lift my spouse up over myself. I'm going to choose to lift my kids up over myself. I'm going to choose to lift my friends at church above myself. I'm going to choose to lift my coworkers above myself. In a sense, when we're following Jesus, we're seeing Jesus in everyone, and we're going to say, I'm going to make other people greater than myself. And so we've humbled ourselves The next way that we can make Jesus greater and greater in lives is we uplift others. Thought two. And so in this attitude of humility that Jesus had, we also take that and we need to show that to other people. It's not just a mindset that we keep internally that says, you know what, I'm thinking about these people more and more, I'm not thinking about myself. We actually have to let it turn into action. And so if we're thinking of ourselves less, then that means we have time energy and resources that we can divert from ourselves and into others. And so when we read through the Gospels, this is what you read about Jesus over and over. If you read all the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus constantly got into people's lives and found ways to find the least and lift them up. He found time to be with his disciples and invest into them and show them the way of life that he wanted them to live. And that was to bring others along for the journey. That was to uplift others in every single moment. He taught them about enemy love. Even the ones that hate you, Jesus told them to love them through those moments. And so what we see in this radical like moment is at the end of his life, Jesus has all of his disciples gathered together. And we read about this story in John 13. And Jesus is gathering them together for his final meal to give some like, instructions and in about thing, the way that life is going to be after he leaves this earth. And this is what he does, John 13, one through 17. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because if you think about it, sandals, not like high-quality shoes, walking around in dirt— Feet are nastiness. Danny was walking yesterday on a hike. She's giving me the worst face right now. We were on a hike yesterday in sandals. And so we got home and she's like, I don't even want to sit on the couch because my feet are dirty. So you just think a daily life, you're living it out there. She doesn't have dirty feet. I just need to clarify and stand up on the stage and declare from the mountaintops, my wife has beautiful feet. And so, um, but just to explain is like, feet are nasty when they're just in dirt all day. And so even the disciples in this moment, picture them lounging, because they didn't sit on chairs, they're lounging, and the place they keep farthest from the table is their feet. And so they're sitting there, and Jesus says, all of a sudden says, I'm going to wash your feet. And so Peter's confused by this, and Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. That's what I would be like. My wife has great feet. I don't have nice feet. I wouldn't want Jesus washing my feet either. And so Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. So Jesus right there is kind of referring to Judas who was about to betray him. But he says, for, uh, and then I said, oh, I just said that. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all, of you, not all of you are clean. Man, I totally just tried to say scripture in my own words and it was right there on the page. That's embarrassing. But, um, Verse 12, it says, "'After washing their feet, he put on his robe again "'and sat down and asked, "'Do you understand what I was doing? "'You call me teacher and Lord, "'and you are right, because that's what I am. "'And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, "'you ought to wash each other's feet. "'I have given you an example to follow. "'Do as I have done to you. "'I tell you the truth, "'slaves are not greater than their master, "'nor is the messenger more important "'than the one who sends the message.'" Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And so what I love about that verse is that Jesus knows that he's God. He knows that he's their rabbi. He's their teacher. But he chose to show them what a true servant does. That it doesn't matter what position you have. It doesn't matter what power you have. It doesn't matter who society or culture says you are. Everyone. From the top to the bottom is there to serve one another. And so I don't know if I can stress enough of the idea that was going through the minds of the disciples in this moment that someone, their teacher, their Lord, the ones that they have chosen to follow, the ones they know is the son of God is washing their feet, the grossest, the nastiest part of their body. And Jesus is choosing to wash them. He's choosing to cleanse them with a towel wrapped around himself. And it's just this like, portrayal of intimacy and this idea that Jesus is willing to enter in the deepest nest to serve and to love people. And so when we're thinking about ways that we can uplift other people, we have to understand the, G- the depths that Jesus was willing to go to do that. And so when you think about this, I want you to think about your community. And so I'm thinking more of not just like, you know, the Bonnie Lake community, but just this idea of creating community and thinking about all the different groups of people that create your community. So you have your family, you have your neighbors, you have a church, you know, hopefully the open life is a part of that community. Then you have your city and then you have your workplace. And so this idea that we're creating this community, that you all have a community that you're living and that you're a part of, and so how can we uplift others inside of that community? Well, the first thing we can do is we can pray for them. There's so many needs going on right now in our church that if you don't know about them, I want you to encourage you, if you would like to know and be a part of our prayer team, write that down on the prayer on your connection card, and we'd love to add you to it, because every Monday we throw out an email of all the prayer requests that are happening, of the publicly shared ones, and we send those to people that are part of our prayer team to pray for the things going on in our lives. We're praying for people who are going through surgeries. We're praying for people that are going through family transitions. We're praying for people that are across the world that are reaching out to people that have just suffered an earthquake in the last few weeks. And so there's just opportunities for us to constantly pray. You have prayer needs in your family. You have prayer needs in your coworkers. Begin to pray. That's one way that we uplift them. And so then we begin to think back on the the challenges from Philippians 2. Think of others better than yourself. Think of the people in your blast radius that you can think of better than yourself. Your spouse. They might annoy you. You might be in a season where you're just button heads. Think of your spouse better than yourself your kids, think about your kids better than yourself, invest in them, throw yourself to serve them. I just think of the, all the struggles I put my parents through and my dad through, when I come back late at night and the car is full of snow, I grew up in Spokane, so the front of the car is full of snow and my dad's like, what were you doing last night? And it's like, do you really wanna know? I was having fun. And so it's just like, my dad just chose to serve into my life over and over. That's the idea of parenting. Think about your coworkers. Think about ways that you can practically uplift your coworkers. And so then you go on to investing into them. Think about ways that you can take your time, your talents, your energy, and invest into the people that are around you. Take an interest in the things that are going on in their life. Don't let it just be for a moment or don't let it just be for like uh, an idea that, you know, I'm going to do this because I'm forced to do it, but do it for a genuine interest into the lives of the people that are part of what your community is. And so how do we make Jesus greater and greater in our life? Thought three is that we need to make tough decisions. One of the things that we often think about is just this thought that how do I choose to throw my whole life onto Jesus. This is what Jesus was telling people all the time when he was walking through the journey with his disciples, is that people would have to give up everything to follow him. And so I think sometimes we just need to realize that following Jesus sometimes means we have to make tough decisions that we have to make tough choices to when we think about how we're going to use our finances, how we're going to pursue our job, uh, like going through the life of you know, job promotions and how, where we're going to go. Are we going to choose to move across the state or the country in pursuit of a paycheck or for an opportunity? We begin to think of these things differently when we're choosing to make Jesus greater and greater in our lives. And that's not to say one decision is worse than the other. It's just a decision that says, I'm choosing to make Jesus the most important person in my life and I'm letting every choice come from that. It's like a pyramid. First, what does Jesus think? And then I'm going to begin to think about what I think about it. And so in order to make Jesus greater, we need to look at every area of our life and say, God, I'm choosing to throw these things into your plan, and I want you to teach me how to live my life accordingly. So think about all those things. We got finances. We have our relationships with people we have a time management. That's something that I was just like been bogged down by this past week. With that being gone, I have some different responsibilities here at church. And then I'm also working at the YMCA and I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is most important and how do I live my life according to that? And so that might be something that's a huge decision, but it can be things that just creep up in a moment that just says, you know what, I overcommitted myself, and if I'm gonna make Jesus greater and greater in my life, what's the decision right now about how I'm gonna use the next hour intentionally? Sometimes it comes to that, even in a moment or in a minute. So then even our workplace mentality, How do we encounter those relationships at work? How do we encounter the idea of taking the next position or looking for a new job when we might be in a moment of just not feeling it's the right place for me? So whatever you're going through, I'm just trying to tell you that God wants to be a part of every decision. God wants to be a part of every prayer that you offer to him that lets him in on the life that you're living. Because there is a way to live your life with Jesus as the center, with Jesus as the ultimate focus. And that's with him at the top. If we're going to truly live out this mentality that John was living, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. We can all think of things even now, maybe this afternoon, that you're going to say, I'm going to make Jesus greater in my life in this moment of the struggle that I might be living through. I'm going to let him increase and I'm going to decrease myself so that I can let my life be a work that God wants to have. And so today our action point is just simply live to make Jesus greater in your life. Whatever decisions you have, whatever prayers you're praying to God, make Jesus the greatest part of your life. Live to make him ultimate in your life. Don't let things become gods or idols that you're worshiping because you've chosen to let Jesus come down a little bit. Mark 10, 42 through 45 is a great verse that talks about this, and especially when we're talking about serving others, people. The disciples, James and John, took Jesus aside and they said, you know what, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. When, like, we're up in heaven, we want to be sitting next to you on your right and your left. And so if you read the whole story, Jesus kind of, like, laughs at them. He's like, you do not know what you're asking. And so, of course, like, you know, they wanted that question, you know, to just stay amongst the three of them. But, of course, the other disciples found out, the the other ten of them. And, of course, they're mad. And it's just like what we read about with John's disciples. You know, they're, they're going to this guy now. They're not coming to us anymore. The disciples are mad because James and John are trying to get this preferential treatment. And so this is what Jesus tells them to kind of like bring them all back on the same page, to kind of set things smooth. And just see, he says this. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over, the, over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's the ultimate thing that we can look at to Jesus, is that our King, our savior, didn't come for us to serve him, but he came to serve us. And so if we can even take an ounce of that mentality of John's idea of letting Jesus become greater and greater and him becoming less and less, if we can take what Jesus is saying that I didn't come here to be served, I came here to serve. If we can let that be our mentality in every aspect of our lives, that I'm here to serve, I'm here to uplift others. I'm here to bring others along for the journey and lift them up to Jesus. Then we're making Jesus greater in our lives. And so I just wanna challenge you with that. One of the things that we can do in response is just totally natural and easy to do. is just to use time to praise Jesus, to uplift God and say, God, I thank you for all that you do for me. I thank you for all the things that are going on in my life to take time to even pray over your needs and to give them to God and say, God, I'm choosing to let you be ultimate. I'm choosing to you to let you be greater in my life in these moments. And so we're going to take time to do that after we pray. And it's just just take time to dwell on that and how we can make God greater and greater in our lives and how we can naturally become less and less in the way that we're living. God, I just thank you for this moment and just this uh, the people here. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would work through them in a mighty way today. I pray that you would um, work through every need and desire and thought, that you would just um, let them trust you that you would just let them put their hope in you for whatever might be going on in their lives, God, that they would just come to know you in a deeper and a greater way, God, that they would find those moments to throw the spotlight onto you, to make you greater and greater and to let themselves become less and less. God, I pray for all the moments we have in our families, in our workplaces, with our neighbors, God, to throw that spotlight on you, even in those communications, interactions, God, and the way that we live our lives. Let us make tough decisions and tough choices, God, that show that you are the greatest in our lives, that you are the one that we're choosing to lift up. Not our own selfish desires, not to to lift ourselves up, God, but to live every single day of our life, trying to make you as great as you possibly can be, God. It's a challenge and not any of us are gonna be perfect at it, God. So just guide us as we walk in that. Let us serve others naturally and however we can. And so we just ask all this in your name today.